This is an energy sport podcast. Insightful, in-depth and entertaining sports content from Napier to you. Hello and welcome to another episode of Broken Front Wings, the F1 podcast on energy sport. My name is Alistair Russell and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Henderson. Hello. We are looking forward today to the Portuguese Grand Prix which takes place at Portimao this weekend. It should be quite a good race, we hope, shouldn't it? Oh yeah, definitely. We saw Portimao make a return to the F1 calendar uh, last year when they were kind of struggling to get um, get circuits due to COVID and it produced a cracking race. It's a, it's a great circuit and uh, one that we're both definitely glad to see back on the calendar for this year and one, to be fair, that I personally want on the calendar again. It's uh, it's one of my favourites. I would, I would agree with that. I think it's one that should definitely be staying on the calendar. It was, of course, last year, Potemau was the race that Lewis Hamilton broke Michael Schumacher's record for the most wins in Formula 1 history, and a race that I'm sure you'll be happy to remember McLaren led six laps of. Yes, it did. Uh, I seem to remember Carlos Sainz managed to get uh, in front for a little bit before, I think he was maybe a a little bit later on pit stops than some people. I think that's just the strategy they're going for. You managed to lead a few laps. Um, I do remember that. That was quite a quite a good moment. But mm. yeah, Portimao is definitely a, a great track. It's when you look at the over like the two D map and even the kind of aerial shots, you don't realize just how much of ele- elevation change there is. It's just mental the 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 gradients that you see them go up and down and plenty of downhill braking zones, which are always fun. Certainly, to, uh, to watch onboards of certainly Anthony Davidson. I think at one point last year described it as a bit of a roller coaster, and certainly the camera angles, with the exception of I think the camera in the front wing, they certainly don't do the elevation changes justice. Uh, having a look at the race directors' events notes coming up for this weekend, there are three areas in which they will be observing track limits. Again, that debate rumbles on as ever. They'll be observing track limits on the Turn 1 exit, Turn 4 exit and Turn 15 exit. Do we think there's ever going to be an end to the track limits fiasco in sight? Not really. Um, I think it might get a bit better uh, at the moment. To be honest, this race it doesn't seem to be too controversial. The, the Turn 1 um, Track limits monitoring. It's essentially it's a I don't know, almost a ninety degree bend. So as long as the drivers don't take too much, um, are not too aggressive into it, it shouldn't be a problem. Uh, turn fifteen looks like it could be interesting. It's a nice wide, fast right hander. So it they could potentially if they've not got enough front wing downforce, um, run wide on there and that could ruin a few laps, mm. uh, especially in qualifying. Certainly, cars with less downforce. I'm thinking the the Williams, the Haas. Certainly, if they don't dial in their setups there, that could be a place that catches out drivers on fast laps. With in terms of track limits, Pirelli are at the harder end of the range of tyres that they've brought for this race, with the C1 hard, C2 medium, and C3 soft tyre so definitely towards the harder end with the C1 in fact being the hardest tyre available in the current range so tyre deg possibly not going to be that much of an issue we're thinking everyone 
should be likely to get by on a one-stop strategy, we think. Yeah, potentially. I mean, if they're going through the harder tyres, it's obviously a circuit with high, um, high abrasion, and the tyres. If they went for softer tyres, they'd probably be looking at quite a bit of tyre degradation. Um, we might see. We're probably likely to see more use of the hard and medium tyres than the softs. Um, if we do see the softs, probably will be in qualifying rather than the race. I suspect they might drop off quite quickly, but we never know. Um, the tire, the soft tires, prove to be very quick at Imola. Yeah, so I think we definitely will see um more medium tire running and hard tire running than softs. Um, as the fact that they went for the harder tire that means that this could be a circuit that's uh, harder on tires. Um, I'm not sure if we'll see some tire degradation. It's definitely not um like Silverstone, which is famous for being harsh on tires, but Definitely could be some interesting strategy calls. Mm. I seem to remember last year that the favoured strategy was a one-stop, from, well, certainly from the front-running teams, was one-stop starting on the mediums and going on to the harder compound of tyre. Now, it was, unfortunately, it was looking earlier in the week like we might be getting a bit of rain at some point over the weekend, but according to the latest weather forecast that I have in front of me, that's now not going to happen, and we'll be looking at temperatures of somewhere roughly 19 to 20 degrees across the weekend. So, Portuguese Grand Prix, who's our money on for the win? Well, it's hard to say. Um... It definitely seems like it could be, it's got quite a lot of uh, sharp corners as well, some wider corners, but I think it's going to be a, a circuit that more favours the cars with higher downforce. So my money might be on uh, Red Bull, um, and I think Ferrari might also have a strong performance as well. Um, I don't necessarily think Mercedes will struggle, but I think the same as the theme for the season, Red Bull are just going to be that bit closer to Mercedes. So I am hoping... I don't know if I'm expecting, but I'm certainly hoping a close fight between Mercedes and Red Bull, which is something we have seen at both races this season already. So um, it's definitely something that's within the realms of possibility. Mm. I think, and I don't know, I don't have any evidence to back this up. I'm just going to pluck this out thin air. I think we might be in for a to whom it may concern moment. I would not put it past Valtteri Bottas to grab the win. This weekend, well, the man yeah. needs a strong performance. He had a shocking race at Imola where he was crashed into George Russell whilst the Williams was about to overtake him, and the strategy and a bad pit stop from Mercedes in Bahrain cost him massively in the fight for the win. Yeah. So I think Valtteri Bottas could be up there. Of course, Sergio. I think we're so used to ruling out the second Red Bull driver that we forget Sergio Perez put it on the front row. At Imola, so he could he should certainly be in for a strong weekend. We hope. Yeah, definitely. I think Bottas is it's almost make a break this season for Bottas. I think he's got a lot to prove. Um, his seat could be under threat. Um, by the likes of George Russell, Max Verstappen, we're not really sure. Um, what's going to be happening? The, the happening. Sorry. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely he's going to be wanting to to prove himself throughout this season and. You can say what you like about who caused the crash at Imola, but um, it was definitely a, a an embarrassing moment for Bottas, being almost overtaken by Williams. Now, if you told me last year that we'd be in a position where Williams was going to overtake a Mercedes, I'd think you'd never watch an F1 race in your life. So, 
it was it, it's, it's definitely embarrassing for him and I think he's going to want to show this weekend that he's not the type of driver who gets overtaken by the, the slowest car on the grid that he is quick um, and I think it's an interesting point about discounting the second Red Bull seat because we've had what two years of Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon in that seat and I mean both of them have had a couple of decent races but ultimately have been pretty terrible I mean Albon's in a way off racing in DTM isn't he so mm. uh, I think that tells you everything you need to know Um, I don't think the Red Bull seat is cursed the second Red Bull seat is cursed I feel like Sergio Perez once he's a bit more dialed in and once he gets that car where he wants it and understands the team and understands that car because you have to remember this is a man that's been racing with um, Force India who then became Asian Point who then became Aston Martin for most of his career since I think 2014 or 15 and that's quite a long time and he'll be very used to how that car feels and handles and how that team operates and considering he's only had done two races where he's clawed it back from quite far back in the grid he's actually done a really good job um, mm. and I think the best is yet to come for Sergio Perez in that seat I think he's got the potential he definitely does have the potential. I remember that performance from him in 2012 where he very nearly took the win in a Sauber at Malaysia from Fernando Alonso. That was certainly early on in his career. That was He certainly has the pace to do well and certainly does have the pace to win races as we've seen when he came basically from last to first in Sakir last year. Now, we've had no shortage of news this week in Formula 1. One of the bigger pieces of news has been that Canada has been off the calendar now and Istanbul Park in Turkey will come back to stand in and I believe Turkey have signed a two-year deal to keep that track on the calendar next year. Istanbul Park is a fantastic track. Yeah, definitely. I think Istanbul is one that's uh, very much enjoyed by most fans. It's another race like Portimao that we've been to before in the, the past, but not been to for a while. Um, obviously, it made its return last year. And um, yeah, if you look at the calendar, it does kind of make sense. They're going to Azerbaijan before that or after, I can't remember. Um, yeah, so geographically, it makes sense. Um, but yeah, it's definitely one that we're glad to see. And I'm hoping to. Uh, see that the problems with the track have been fixed because of course last year even without the torrential rain it was a very slippy track had been recently um, resurfaced um, and with heavy rain some of the heaviest rain we've seen in F1 racing um, a couple of years it was uh, pretty interesting It certainly was very interesting that race, I hope the problems aren't fixed that, would, that made for a fantastic race last year Also this week we have had the probably slightly larger news in terms of F1 that they will be trialling a sprint race format for the first time. So this is a major shake-up to the way a Grand Prix weekend looks and operates. Normally they have the two practice sessions on Friday, one on Saturday morning followed by the one hour knockout qualifying session on Saturday and then the full Grand Prix on the Sunday. Now they have announced unanimous agreement with all teams that at three races they will be trialling sprint races. Points will be awarded to the top three finishers of the sprint races. Three for first, two for second and one for third. Yeah, it's um, definitely an interesting 
uh, announcement. I think it has the potential to be um, a good thing. Um, I think really we just need to see it in action. Um, and we're expected to see that in uh, Silverstone, Monza, and then some other race. They wanted to be a non-European race. I think they were mm. floating the idea of Interlagos, but Interlagos, with the coronavirus situation in Brazil, we're not sure that will happen. Mm. Um, but yeah, we'll definitely... It'll be interesting. The, the the new format will be obviously just having the one practice session on the, the Friday and then going straight into qualifying, which will be something that we've never seen before because we've always had the two practice sessions on the Friday. Friday is the kind of day that when it comes to Formula 1, I know I just stick it on in the background and I'll go about stuff and occasionally I'll look around and go, ooh, a crash. Um, or somebody's spun or whatever. And usually it's not something I pay much attention to, but it's you can kind of, the teams learn a lot from it. But then they'll be they'll only have an hour before they're into qualifying. And if you think about how many sessions they usually have before qualifying, they have three. So they have an hour and uh, an hour, no, sorry. Two and a half hours usually. Um before they go into qualifying. Now they're straight into qualifying after an hour. So it's going to be interesting. Mm. Um then of course the second qualifying session taking place on the Saturday. Uh, sorry, the second practice session taking place on Saturday morning before the new sprint qualifying, which will be about a third of the normal race distance and set the grid for Sunday. So yeah. Yes. Uh yes, as you said, they will be qualifying will be run on the Friday afternoon, which will decide the grid for the sprint race and the sprint race results for that will decide the grid for the main Grand Prix on Sunday. They're not touching the main Grand Prix. They still want that to be the focus of the weekend. However, they are also introducing a new set of tire rules aiming to increase jeopardy for the teams. In the first practice session, teams can only use two of the three types of tyre, hard, medium and soft. In qualifying, they will only run the soft compound, with each team getting five sets, and one set of tyres only for practice on the Saturday morning of the team's choice, two sets of tyres for the sprint qualifying race of the team's choice, and the driver will not be required to make a pit stop and that leaves only two remaining sets of new tyres for each team for the Grand Prix. And there will be free choice in terms of the compound for the start of the race. Normally, of course, drivers who make it into the top ten have to start on the tyre that they set their fastest lap on in Q2. It's certainly going to be an interesting one, that. Yeah, um, it, it's interesting, as you say. Um, points, of course, go into the the top driver so I think in terms of points it's not really going to make a difference but I can definitely imagine the, the potential outcry if Lewis Hamilton wins uh, the championship by a single point after getting third in one of the sprint qualifiers I can certainly imagine people will be all up in arms about it oh um, yes that will be yeah, a tasty scenario that's going to definitely be interesting Um, I feel like as I said I feel like we're just going to need to see it in action Um. Of course, the first race we're going to be seeing it is Silverstone. Um, and personally, I'm a little bit disappointed that they picked that race because I won't be there for qualifying. I'm going to actually be at the Silverstone Grand Prix this year, fingers crossing. Uh, fingers crossed, sorry. And COVID permitting and all that kind of stuff. And I don't fly down until the, the Friday afternoon. So if you're on there Saturday, Sunday, like I will be, you get two races. Um, so I definitely think it could be interesting. Um, and usually um, you'd only see qualifying, which is... Um, you get a little bit of running, then it's a break. A little bit of running, then a break. Um, with an actual proper race, even a sprint race, they're coming. There's cars going past you every twenty seconds. Um, so yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. 
hopefully it will lead to some good racing. There's been a lot of scepticism from around the place by a lot of journalists and fans, but I think the majority of you is we need to see it in action first. And, you know, more racing action, yeah, hopefully there'll be... Hopefully, you'd like to hope they'll go for it on the Saturday race rather than just try and keep the car in order because, of course, this is the first year in operation of the budget cap in Formula 1. They have £145 million to run their cars and their team for the whole season. And there was a rather interesting article this week, I don't know if you saw that Mercedes were counting the cost of that accident with Valtteri Bottas and reckoned it will cost them about a million pounds. And now, of course, the top teams are now having to operate in a way that many of the smaller teams have had to operate for years and that they have to account for every single nut and bolt and the cost of every single nut and bolt on that car, which is bizarre to see because we're used to the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes spending 300 million a year at least then now, yeah, it's... now it's it's kind of it, hopefully it will level the playing field a bit, and that, that's I think something that I certainly never considered when they brought in the cost cap that a huge crash like that was going to cost a lot of money to the team because normally that would just be to Mercedes, uh, so oh it's a massive crash that's fine we've got the resources and the money, but this time they're going to have to extend the part life and try and salvage as much from any wreck as they can. Yeah, it's definitely definitely be interesting. I think I remember seeing some sort of interview with Zach Brown, um, and he says that McLaren will pretty much be at the cost cap. Um, so and you think it look at McLaren, they were kind of probably one of the, the fourth or fifth biggest spender. So if there's plenty of teams that are going to still be well under the cost cap, but it basically just brings down the top teams by quite a significant margin. It's definitely interesting what you're saying, um, about the fact that a big crash could have big consequences. Um, teams, I don't know if it will lead to them being less um, risky and less ballsy, but I think it's definitely going to be interesting if somebody like Mercedes has another big crash then that's two that's two million dollars, or sorry, pounds I think it's measured in um, two million pounds were out of 145 million it's, it's, it's not that much when you think about it, if you have three or four, then that significantly reduces your budget um, of course, the cost cap it doesn't include things like paying salaries and paying for like the factory and stuff. It's just about car development, um, and building the car and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it it could lead to some interesting scenarios, especially for the bigger teams. Mm. Should make Monaco quite interesting. Oh yes. I wonder. Certainly, certainly in nineteen ninety six we saw that. The cash-strapped, I believe it was Tyrrell team at that point, which is now Mercedes. The Tyrrell team at that point refused to send out their cars on the Sunday morning warm-up, as we had then in Formula 1. They refused to send the cars out on the warm-up because their drivers, they weren't confident that they would get the cars back in one piece. And they didn't, they couldn't afford really to have that scenario. So I wonder if we will, certainly from Haas, who are looking slightly cash-strapped, and they have two rookies who've never driven a Formula 1 car around Monaco. I wonder if we could see some kind of scenario like that, where they limit their running in practice to try and save the cars as much as possible. Yes, definitely. Monaco is one of those tracks that is so tight. Anytime I ever play it on the F1 game, I'm like a pinball machine 
you know, I'm just like ping, ping, ping off the <laughs> ladders, and I kind of go crash into one barrier, put the power down, spin into another barrier. It's it's uh, it's definitely a track that I struggle with in the F1 game. Um, and you make a good point about Haas. They've got two rookies and the crash strap, as you say. It could be interesting. Um, and it kind of brings up a, a point about I think it was in twenty nineteen. Yeah, it must have been twenty nineteen. Williams retired from one of the races. Now they said it was a technical problem, but many people speculated that they just wanted to keep the car intact and just retired because they think they retired Robert Kubica because they didn't want to risk having any sort of damage or they want to just keep costs down. So mm, that could be yeah. something to see again, and definitely something. And you make a good point about they might be limited running in practice, um, to save money. That is just about all we have time for today. Thank you very much for listening to us. We'll be back on either Sunday night or Monday morning, line of duty permitting, of course, with the race review. I've been Alistair Russell, and thank you very much to Matthew Henderson for joining me. Goodbye. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.